This is the Africa service of Vatican Radio. Welcome to our half-hour daily program for Africa. Stay tuned for our bulletin of church news, which will be followed by Panorama. And then our features echo of the African Synod and the Millennium Appointment. I am Johnny Baptist Tumusime. On Monday, Pope Francis received an audience members of the Pontifical Academy for Life who have gathered in Rome for their General Assembly. They are discussing the theme, human meanings and challenges, with the goal of bringing out what is distinctive about the human being. In his address, the Holy Father pointed out that the topic has come at the right time, given the challenges posed by scientists who attempt to reproduce the human being using technological methods. David Watkins has the details. In his address, the Pope highlighted the importance of the Academy's efforts to explore what is distinctive about the human being. Reflecting on the prevalence of technology in all aspects of human life, he pointed out that it is impossible to reject technology out of hand. We need instead, said the Pope, to situate scientific and technological knowledge within a broader horizon of meaning. He offered the example of technology reproducing various aspects of the human person, such as efforts to employ binary code as a digital language able to express every type of information. Noting the obvious parallel with the biblical story of the Tower of Babel, Pope Francis said God's response to the human desire to create a single language is not mere punishment. Rather, he noted, God confused human language as a kind of blessing with the purpose of countering the tendency to force all people to think exactly the same as others. Artificial intelligence, or talking machines as the Pope called them, can never be endowed with spirit, and so technological advances must take place in such a way as to prevent the disfigurement of what is human. He said there exists a higher plane to human relationships than language, one which lies in the sphere of pathos and emotions, desire and intentionality. Only human beings, he added, can perceive and convert these empathic exchanges into positive and beneficial relationships with others aided by God's grace. In conclusion, Pope Francis praised the Pontifical Academy for Life for seeking to create a cross-disciplinary dialogue where researchers can exchange their views on technological developments. Christianity, concluded the Pope, has always taken meaningful elements of various cultures and reinterpreted them in the light of Christ and the Gospel. I'm Devin Watkins. On Monday, Pope Francis received an audience the President of the United Republic of Tanzania, Mrs. Samia Suluhu Hassan, who after was received by the Vatican Secretary of State, Cardinal Pietro Parolini. A statement released by the Holy See Press Office after the meeting said Cardinal Parolini and President Suluhu held cordial discussions which focused on bilateral relations between the Holy See and Tanzania, 
with the particular attention to the role that the Catholic Church plays in the country in the educational and health sectors as well as in the field of charity. They also shared ideas on the social context of Tanzania, the challenges the country is facing, as well as the regional situation and the international current affairs. On Monday, Pope Francis nominated Father Wilbrod Henry Kibozi to be the auxiliary bishop of the Metropolitan Archdiocese of Dodoma in Tanzania. The bishop-elect was born in 1973 and ordained a priest in 2010 for the Diocese of Dodoma. At the time of this nomination, he was a vice-rector and lecturer at the Holy Family Major Seminary in Kahama. After his ordination, Father Kibozi served in various capacities, including as a curate, vocations director, confessor, and formator. He later pursued higher studies at the theological faculty in the Italian city of Florence, where he graduated with a doctoral degree in dogmatic theology. In a related development, Pope Francis has nominated Father Jean Desire Raza Finirina to be the bishop of the Catholic Diocese of Morombe in Madagascar. Father Raza Finirina was born in 1975 and ordained a priest in 2003 for the Diocese of Toliara. Before this nomination, he was serving as rector and lecturer at St. John Baptist Major Seminary of Vihosoma. After his ordination, he served as a teacher, curate, parish priest, member of the Diocesan College of Consultants, and as a formator in a minor and a major seminary. He later pursued higher ecclesiastical studies in canon law, also known as church law, at the Pontifical Urban University in Rome, and graduated with a master's degree. The Catholic bishops of Benin have issued a message for the Lenten season, which begins this coming Wednesday, February 14th, with the smearing of the ashes. In the message, the bishops call upon the faithful to use the season to come closer to God through prayer, fasting, and the reception of the sacraments, especially the Eucharist and penance, and by doing acts of charity. They explain that prayer involves a commitment to concrete support for those in need. You are tuned to the English Africa service of Vatican Radio. African News Panorama Schools in Zambia reopened on Monday for the first time this year after several delays following a deadly cholera outbreak. The reopening of schools was delayed by five weeks as part of a series of preventive measures in order to contain the spread of the highly contagious disease. The authorities say that the spread of the disease has now eased. About 500 people have died since the outbreak was reported last October. More than 15,000 cases have so far been reported, many of them affecting children. Zambia has had several major cholera outbreaks, but the current one is the worst in 20 years. The outbreak has also caused several infections and deaths in neighboring Zimbabwe and Mozambique. A number of miners have been trapped in a cave for three days in a remote village in northern Ethiopia. The artisanal miners were working in a narrow cave when it collapsed on them in the Delanta district. 
Local officials are uncertain about the exact number of the trapped miners who were looking for precious or gemstones. Local authorities told the media on Monday that the steep landscape of the area has complicated their rescue efforts. Hundreds of locals have spent days trying to dig openings for the miners as the landscape of the village has made it difficult to get support from machines. Rescue attempts have so far been reported to be unsuccessful, but the authorities remain hopeful of finding survivors. Senegal's Minister of Business and Trade, Abu Karim Fofana, who is also the government spokesperson, has defended President Macky Sall from accusations that he postponed the elections as a strategy to cling on to power. Speaking to the media from the capital, Dhaka, Minister Fofana presented the election delay as a necessary and altruistic move, coming from a moral obligation to stay and solve the problem. He said that the decision taken by President So is also supported by the Constitution, which he said demands of the President to be the guarantor of the good functioning of the institutions. When President So controversially called off this month's election at short notice, he had cited the row over the eligibility of candidates. That decision has been met with widespread international condemnation, including from the West African regional bloc, ECOWAS, amid fears that it could threaten one of the region's most stable democracies. It has also sparked furious protests in which three people have so far died. Meantime, in Cameroon, one student has died and several others were injured after an explosive device went off in the country's restive northwest region. The accident happened on Sunday while students were marching during National Youth Day in Nkambe town. Separatist fighters are suspected to have staged the attack. Attacks against students, teachers and educational institutions are common in Anglophone Cameroon. The incident is seen as an attempt by the separatists to enforce a boycott of education which they imposed over seven years ago. You are tuned to the Daily Africa service of Vatican Radio. The African Synod, the Church Alive in Africa Today. Hello and welcome to the program. I am Festus Tarawali. In this edition, you can hear my extended interview with Nigerian Cardinal John Onayokon. The Archbishop Emeritus of Abuja was in Rome recently for a meeting and to mark his 80th birthday. After meeting Pope Francis and praying at the tomb of the Apostle Peter on that day, the 29th of January, he came to our offices in the Vatican to reflect on his life of service to the Church. He began by telling me why he wanted to be in Rome around the time of his 80th birthday. I wanted to be in Rome for two reasons. First, to meet His Holiness the Pope, and I had requested an audience with him so that he can bless me as I continue with my life after 80. It was also my intention that after meeting the Pope, I would also see Mass at the tomb of the Apostle Peter, which was possible. It was organized for me, and I said Mass. After meeting the Pope, I went to meet Peter in the crypta and had a wonderful Mass with four of Abuja priests and two reverend sisters and one lay lady. For me, it's like the apex of the whole of my birthday celebration on the real day. 
would you like to share with us some of what the Pope told you or what you exchanged uh, with Actually, him? my audience with the Pope was not for any reason. We have no problem to discuss. Just to let him know that I'm now 80, and whatever I've been able to do, whatever services the church has been made it possible for me to perform, I have now reached the end of the day. And that today, my 80th birthday is my last day as a member of the last group to which I belong, namely the Decastory for the Doctrine of the Faith. And I take the opportunity to thank him and through him, all his predecessors, who have made it possible for me to be involved in the life of the church at different levels and in different areas. I came to meet the Pope with his, his short letter of thanksgiving. Thank you, Your Holiness, I put on the letter, and I summarized much of what I've gone through as a, a man of the church and how I have enjoyed every moment of it and how I see whatever duties Postings assigned to me as a grace of God, which I really thank God for. And uh, telling the Pope, now I'm going back home to continue my life with all humility and with fidelity to God and to the Bishop of my diocese. Whatever I can still do, I will do until the Lord Jesus calls me home. So eight decades of wisdom behind you. Would you like to share with us some fond memories? Hey, there are many fond memories. I'll just say two things. First, my father, when I was born 80 years ago, gave me a name. The name is Olorun Femi, which in Yoruba means God loves me. I wasn't there when the name was given, but I have lived with that name all these 80 years. Because at every turn, I've seen that God really loves me. And I say that with all, with all sincerity, a sense of responsibility, because I, I have many colleagues, age mates, classmates who have been who have worked hard harder than me but who may not have come out with the kind of uh, the kind of uh, honor and privileges that I have got so at every point i see the love of god in my life the second one the second we can see what summarizes my life is the motto i chose when i became a bishop namely fiat voluntas tua let your will be done and the more i live with that motto the more i've I admire it because once you live according to the, love, the will of God, there's no such thing as failure in what you do. You know that what when you say fiat voluntas tua in Latin, the fiat could be both declarative and it can also be imperative or begging. It's not only that may the will of God be done, you can say that, but more importantly, the will of God will be done. The will of God will be done because God controls everything. And with that in the back of your mind, you keep doing whatever you are doing, hoping to please God and knowing that if you are on that line, you are on the right path. There's nothing to fear. Recently, you addressed a, a conference on peace building, the role of the church in peace building in Africa. It was oh, yes. in the United States. Oh, yes. Um, you've been at the helm of affairs of various groupings of bishops like the Continental Grouping SECAM, the grouping of the English-speaking bishops of West Africa, ECOWA, before its merger into RECOWA. Um, you also served as president of the Nigeria Conference of Catholic Bishops. What has been your experience during this period, especially on the role of the church in peace-building and good governance? This issue you raise about me being on uh, the leadership role among my colleagues in Africa is, again, one of those things which God himself has done. 
as we say, this is the Lord's undoing, and it is wonderful in our eyes. How come they are there? And these are all cases where you, your colleagues elect you as their leader. I was president of Nigerian Bishops' Conference, president of the West African English-speaking Bishops' Conference, and president of SECAM. Uh, and at each stage, I see myself as uh, called to service of leadership, leadership in service. And um, this, these years, my years as bishop, which is now over 40 years, they have been very, very uh, interesting and in the life of the church in Africa. We, can, we have seen it. And it, my, own, my own feeling is that when we look over the history of Africa in the last 40 years, we have a tale of woes. Things have not gone well. In fact, in many countries, things have gone worse and worse, including my own country, Nigeria. But when we look at the life of the church, there is evidence of, of progress, vigor, and uh, you can see a church, an African church, that is really making an impact. We don't control the government, but almost in every country, the church and its voice is heard. And why is that the case? Well, some people, some people were asking me in Nigeria, how come you Catholic bishops are always able to go into your meetings and come out with a communique without anybody countering it, without any, uh, any, always, you're always unanimous. And I say, that is a great, beautiful thing with our Catholic church. We have a, a wonderful, uh, a wonderful gift of God, which we often underestimate. We have a, a bundle of ideas and values, which we all accept. It is put in the general terms of the social doctrines of the church, which guides us. And so whenever we are facing any particular issue in our country, however it is coming from, we apply the Catholic social doctrines and nobody has any reason to disagree with the, with the decision and with the positions that we have taken. That has helped us to be able to have a coherent voice. When we compare ourselves with other church groups, we can now see why we should thank God that we are in a Catholic church. Yeah, you might say, yes, you are coherent, you are unanimous, but nothing is changing. They are not listening to you. Well, at least they cannot say we didn't say, talk. They cannot say we didn't talk. And it is true to say, and it's often said, that whenever the bishops' conference are meeting, not only the Catholics that are, it's not only Catholics that are looking forward to our communique. The whole nation, what are the Catholic bishops to say? This can be as a group. Obviously, each bishop in his own diocese is also playing his role as a prophet, voice of the voiceless. And then in, a, in the world where, where there are not too many people who, who take seriously the issue of values, when the church talks and stresses that there's such a thing as values, such a thing as honesty, such a thing that the students should not do, and not only that you don't do it because God says you don't do it, but that if you don't, if you continue to behave badly, it has implications. You may think you are smart when the rulers of the nation are only playing games and not looking at the, the leadership as a as service of the people. Then obviously they have no time to even start thinking of how to solve the problems of the poor people. That was Cardinal John Onayokon 
the Archbishop Emeritus of Abuja, Nigeria, speaking to me on his 80th birthday on the 29th of January this year. And that's all for this edition of the African Synod, the Church Alive in Africa today. Till the same time next week, I am Festus Tarawali. And now, our feature Millennium Appointment. As you have heard several times on this program, the war in Sudan is spreading to different parts of the country and in the process, killing and displacing many more people. Although the exact number of the dead is not yet known, it is estimated to be in tens of thousands, while the number of the internally displaced is coming to 10 million. The number of Sudanese nationals who have fled to neighboring countries like Chad, Ethiopia, and the Central African Republic is about 2 million. Local and international humanitarian agencies have warned that they don't have sufficient resources to cater for the ever-increasing number of the displaced. They have also expressed concern about the plight of the internally displaced people in areas that have been completely cut off by fighting. The war in Sudan started in mid-April 2023 as a power struggle between the head of the National Army, General Abdul Fattah al-Burhan, who is also the head of state, and the leader of the paramilitary rapid support forces, General Mohamed Hamdan Dagalo. Brenda Kariuchi is the World Food Program's Senior Regional Communications and Advocacy Officer for Eastern Africa. She explains first how the World Food Program, the WFP, is helping people who have decided to stay in their homes in the towns and the villages, despite the risk of being killed by the fighting factions. WFP, despite the active fighting and limited access to the complex conflict dynamics, has been able to assist 6.5 million people since the beginning of the conflict on 15th of April last year. In any given month, we are reaching 1.9 million people with food and cash assistance, and it's across the country in 17 out of the 18 states. On the food and nutrition side, we normally distribute vegetable oil, salt, sorghum, pulses, in quantities enough to tide people for at least a month. And then some people are receiving cash assistance. However, the challenge is that in the conflict hotspots like Khartoum, Darfur, Kordofan, and Gezira State, we have no access due to heavy fighting, insecurity, and some of the restrictions and threats and roadblocks that really impede our ability to reach people. We have food in country. We can reach people with food, but access is a real challenge. In some parts of Khartoum, for example, we only sporadically delivered food aid up to about December 2023. 
and we haven't been able to deliver more since. So if you think about a million people facing hunger levels and we can only reach less than 30%, it's a real concern for us and we really do need to get access to all of the people who are displaced in the country. In Chad, for example, a million people have crossed over to Chad and we have been able to reach them with 11 convoys carrying vital food and nutrition assistance since August. Despite efforts to reach the ones in South Darfur, we haven't really been able to deliver assistance there since June. So we really do need access. WFP is also the logistics backbone for the entire humanitarian response in Sudan. We are providing shared storage services, for example, in Port Sudan, in Gedaref and Kasala and Kosti, where other humanitarian partners are helping us to distribute food and non-food items as well. We are also managing the UN air operation, UNHAS, which is connecting Nairobi and Amman to Port Sudan, which regularly transports a lot of frontline humanitarian workers. In 2024 alone, since the beginning of this year, we have transported over 300 humanitarian workers, including some medivac and medical referrals, as well as 1.4 metric tons of cargo for 42 organizations. So we really are in the thick of the operations and supporting a huge operation working closely with other humanitarian agencies. We also, as WFP, are the telecommunications class elite, and we provide connectivity for Port Sudan, Kasala, and Kosti, where most of the other agencies are able to operate from. Sudan has barely made a blip on the radar of mass media and global news. We need to have strong voices like those of Pope Francis when he reminds the world often about forgotten crises like the one in Sudan. He is a voice for the voiceless and the world needs more voices like Pope Francis to say, hey, we need to end all conflicts. We need to resume all mediation efforts and any processes that can lead to permanent solutions to end these conflicts because the guns need to be silenced. We need to stop the suffering of millions of innocent children, young people, men, women, all caught up in these conflicts that really are devastating lives. So we really do need his voice and we appreciate that he and the team at the Vatican are speaking out about forgotten conflicts like the Sudan. It is important to be on the media and in the international agenda for Sudan to be a crisis that is not forgotten. Brenda Kariuchi, the World Food Program's Senior Regional Communications and Advocacy Officer for Eastern Africa. She was speaking there to Devin Watkins of Vatican News. You have been listening to the English Africa Service of Vatican Radio and I am Johnny Baptist Tomosime. In our next program at the same time tomorrow, you can hear our feature Justice and Peace. Praised be Jesus Christ. Laudetur Jesus Christus.